I mean, I remember I came home from um, maternity leave. I went back. I was back for two weeks, Dale, and I came home and I told my husband, I'm done. Like, cause we, I had gone back and forth with him a couple of times. I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. They can have it. And I put my resignation notice in that weekend. Hey guys, real quick, Dr. Dale here. All right. So I want you guys to do me a favor before you start this episode, please hit that pause button and click subscribe or click follow, or click like, whatever it is. We work really hard to bring you guys this good information to uplift the entire community, and we really appreciate you guys supporting our efforts and our work. Love you guys. Enjoy the episode. I'm on them band like a dad, yeah. Only do it like flagger, yeah. I'm kicking flame with no saga, yeah. Ay, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got the mobs, yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, ain't no time for stressing, I've been really stepping. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, if you wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Black man, white coat, shit, we up right now, yeah. What is up, fam? This is Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor, Wisdom from Parents Who Did It, author of Pre-Med Mondays, author of Black Men and White Coats, and the author of the Dr. Doc Children's series. Grab your copies on Amazon.com or check the links below. I give them out for free sometimes. And, of course, you will listen to the Black Men and White Coats podcast, the place where black clinicians have the platform to share their stories with listeners like you. Man, I am super excited about today's guest. Super excited. And for a whole lot of reasons, which you will, you'll, you'll get to hear here in a second. But one of the reasons I'm super excited is because this is the first Black Men and White Coats episode podcast of the podcast episode that we're doing with a black woman round of applause round of applause round of applause super excited about that and the second reason i'm excited is because one, one of my homies from way back in the day dr queenie wilkins and and we'll get to talking here in a second but before we do a um, couple of announcements i always got to remind you guys about what's going on in our world here at black men and white coast first thing is make sure you sign up for the black men and white coast virtual youth summit i know a lot of people are so used to coming out in person we do these summits across the country, Dallas, Chicago, you know, Carolina, and we get 500,000 people and we have a lot of fun, but because of COVID is going virtual this year, but it's still going to be a great time. It's going to be phenomenal. We already have, um, I don't know how many people signed up, but we got quite a few. I know it's over a thousand, I think. And um, we're going to cap it. So we are going to stop letting people in soon. So make sure you sign up, register now, because the goal, first I was going to stop it at a thousand, but we're going to let it go over a little bit more. So sign up, get your spot now. And we're super excited to see you guys. It's going to be February um, 13th next month. Looking forward to seeing you guys there. Second thing is the Black Men and White Coast documentary is finished. It's complete. We're super excited. Medical schools, hospitals, libraries all across the country are going to be screening this virtually throughout the month of February for Black History Month. People are going to watch it. It's going to get all sorts of conversation going. We're going to bring awareness to the topic. But what I'm most excited about is to hear the conversations that happen after people watch the documentary. Phenomenal film. We've got Surgeon General Jerome Adams, Hill Harper, Shane Batty, Mark Nevay, Cedric Wright, Quinn Capers, Valerie Montgomery Rice. I can go on and on and on. We've got all the stars you want to see on this topic, and the film is going to be great. Make sure you check out bmwcmovie.com to learn more about that. Now, with all that said, I want to get to the reason you guys are here today. This is my homie, my homegirl, I guess you could say, from way back in the day. This is Dr. Queenie Wilkins. What is up, Queenie? How are you? Hello, hello. You know, as you're talking, Dale, it was 16 years, 17 years ago this year that we met, right? It was 2004. 
Oh my goodness, man! You're getting wow. old. Wow, how, how old does that make you feel? Man, there are probably people listening to this podcast right now that weren't even alive. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Weren't even alive, man. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't like doing too many accolades and stuff on here, so I'm not gonna do all that, all the introduction, because that's what this is about. We're gonna, we're gonna talk to you. I'm gonna get your story. People are gonna hear your ups, your downs, your struggles, all that stuff. Um, but you know, I, I just want to say thank you for being the first black woman on this podcast for you know I, we always get that question hey Dale why I gotta be black man why can't you get the black woman on there and what people don't know is um you know of course we do a lot of stuff with black women also but people people probably haven't seen it I'm, I know you remember Queenie we did the black woman in white coats deal yeah yeah and that was what I don't know how many years ago that was that was several years ago we yeah, did that yeah, with yeah. you guys but that, that was a good time we need more female representation, black girl magic. <laughs> Boom, hashtag, hashtag it. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Man, uh, yeah, all right. So so let's 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 dive into your story because people want to hear this. And I know some of it, but I don't know all of it. Um, okay. So you're an anesthesiologist. And yeah, you're down there in the Houston, Texas area. So I, I'm going to start kind of towards the, the latter end and we'll go back to the front. So what made you want to be an anesthesiologist? Let's start with that question for all the people who are going to see this and say, hey, I know Queenie's an anesthesiology. So what made you want to do that field? I went to medical school actually wanting to do OBGYN and the rotation for me was just so gruesome. I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not about that life. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> somewhere along the line, uh, and the anesthesia group in medical school, um, their focus group or student group, they had um, a lab where you get to intubate or put a breathing tube in uh, mannequins. And I did that and I was hooked. That's all I wanted to do. But then I realized it's way more than just intubating. But uh, it was <laughs> nice. And, you know, like I said, like I always wanted to do some type of like primary care. But what I realized with anesthesia, it was all about the work-life balance. At the time, I thought, oh, you know, anesthesiologists work from seven to three. You leave work at work. I didn't want to be, I knew I wanted to, you know, be a wife, have a family. And I knew I didn't want to be at home doing charting uh, and all that stuff. And so uh, my husband often makes fun of me because he's like, it must be nice to leave work at work. Um, And so that's like from, from a lifestyle standpoint, that was very appealing to me. Man, see, I want to. I, I almost want to dive into that right now, but I'm not going to. I'm going to okay. save that. You know, I want to talk some more. We'll get into that because that's going to be big, right? That that's yeah. a big topic the women are going to want to hear about. Yeah, but we'll get into that like later on, halfway through, maybe towards the end of the episode. But okay, now we know that. Let's take it back to the beginning when you were itty bitty queenie, um, childhood. What was it like for you? What? How many siblings? What was your household like? You know, what were the yeah. things that got you excited as a child? So I, um, there were four of us and I'm in the middle. Um, I have an older brother, older sister, and then me, then the younger sister. And we were bad. We were just, we were, we were like, uh, my mom was a single parent. And now that I'm a mom, I just, I feel so sorry for her because we just did everything opposite of what she told us to do. Um, so yeah, come from, you know, hold on, hold on. No, no, you got, you got to give us an example, Queen. Give me an example of the badness. What's give me an example of the badness. Let me, let me just tell you something. My mom would say, I'm running to the grocery store and we're in a small town, Carthage, Texas. Shout out. We just uh, won our eighth state championship football game. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. And so she would say, I'm going to the store to get milk and bread. Do not go outside until I come back. And everything in Carthage takes like five minutes to get to. 
but could we wait that 10 minutes before she got back? No, she would come home and we're outside. Like, just why? And uh, she she laughs at me now because she says, oh, you're going to, you know, your son's going to make you pay for it. So, so we'll see. Baby's kids, man. Baby's kids. Yeah. 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 All right, so you, so you y'all were y'all were little bad bad children, babies, kids, and stuff. So, you're, what was it? Um, because obviously now you're not bad, right? You've done very well for yourself. So, tell me, what was the structure like in your childhood that took those little bad baby, little bad queenie, and got her on some sort of path towards, you know, doing well academically, or, yeah, or did or did you not do well? How did you do that? How did you do well academically? It really it really bothered my mom because I was I was. I got my smarts, I would say, from my mom. She was she was one of those people that never had to study. She would just would go and make an A on the test. And and I was that person, but I just didn't care like when I was younger. All I wanted to do was sleep and eat and, you know, be a lazy kid. But she knew that I had that potential. My mom did not allow me to make B's, but it was very frustrating because my siblings could. And and I remember being young and her and saying, why, why do they get to go outside and play? They made these. And she's like, because I know that you can do better um, or whatever. And so um, I didn't wow, like it. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. So, so let's, let's, <laughs> let's, 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 let's pause on that. And now you, you and I are both parents now. So let's pause on that. Let's think about, think about that, right? So one child is held to different standards than other children. And this is important because we have parents who listen to the podcast. So one child's held to different standards than the other children. Um, you didn't like it, but you understand it now. Is that right? I definitely can understand it and I can appreciate it. And I feel like I'm going to have that same drive towards, you know, my, ch- my child because, you know, our kids, and this is how I feel, you know, coming from a single parent household, I remember, I will never forget wanting to do gymnastics. And at the time, it was $35 a week. But at three girls, you know, me and my sisters, my mama couldn't afford that. And I remember something as basic as saying, I don't ever want my child to be um, to want to be in an organization and not be able to do it because I can't afford it. I know that's so something that's so simple and silly. But that was my driving factor to just go and not even be a physician, just to be successful and not, you know, be a hindrance to my kids financially in that in that uh, sense. So, you know, we, we get into this thing, and this is very a very big, challenging question, uh, specifically in the black community. You know, people who come from situations like you, it sounds like you guys were not financially empowered, and and your single parent household. So, you know, some things where people might consider that to be struggling. We get into these things, and we say, you know. These kids should see the struggle and they should want to do better because they see how their parents are struggling. That should be the drive to be successful. They have no excuse. So yeah. some people say that. Then you get other people that say, well, how do you expect these kids to make it out of that when they don't have that foundation? They don't have the resources that, you know, even though Queenie had a phenomenal mother and maybe some people around her, she, she certainly probably didn't have all the other resources some of the other kids had. So, no, you can't expect Queenie to make it out. So what what is your take on that? Obviously, you made it out. What is your take on that now when you go, you know, you go to um, these, you know, underserved areas, communities and, you know, Texas or wherever you might be and you see these kids. Do you say you, have, you guys have no excuse or do you say, hey, we need to help you guys? Listen, I feel like in 2008, when Barack Obama became the first black president of the United States of America, that's when all of our excuses went out the door. You know, now you've got uh, Kamala Harris about to be the first black VP of the United States. I mean, I feel like the sky is the limit 
but also you have to have support. You know, even if your family doesn't give you financial support, you know, my family gave me the spiritual support, the emotional support and all of that. Um, Which is probably more important. Yeah, for for sure, because that's definitely helped uh, keep me grounded um, throughout this process. And Dale, you know, you work with a lot of like youth. I was just having this conversation the other day. We are going to have to raise our children differently than we were raised, you know, in this day and age with social media and kids these days are just, I feel old saying this, but very entitled, you know, like, like, and I try to tell them nothing is given to you in this world, you know, hard work gets you everything, but they just expect you know, this, this, what do they call it? Um, popcorn <laughs> or microwave, like just oh, instant yeah. gratification, uh, gratification. And so uh, it's just going to be different and interesting, like seeing how this next generation uh, comes out. Man, I'll tell you, I'm feeling it now because I try, and it's hard, right? So no matter, no matter what you try to do for your kids, because you know, my oldest is nine. So no matter what, I, no matter what we try to do in terms of trying to make sure they're grounded, it's still so difficult because then they'll, they'll do something you know, I'm like, oh my goodness, you guys are so spoiled. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's, I can't blame them, right? Because we're the ones who do it to them. Um, but, but see, Dale, I'm, I've already made up my mind that if, like, I, I want to raise, like, you know, you talk about raising children, but I want to raise a child that's like God fearing and kind. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to raise like a, a, a spoiled, entitled brat. That is like my worst fear in life. But you know what? I've already told myself. If, if my child ever starts acting like that, I'm sending you to East Texas for the summer and you're going to get there you <laughs> grounded go. real quick. You're going to see, <laughs> you're going to see the struggle. So don't try. She, don't try anybody who knows Queen knows she's going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. So go on vacation or something. So let's, let's hop back to the childhood. Okay. So you said your mother, you know, different standards, you had no excuse and, and you were able to make it out there. Now I'm curious to know with your siblings, were your siblings able to see that your mother gave you these different standards and and how do they feel when they're seeing, hey, Queenie's held to higher standards? How, how do you think that impacted them? I think that they they knew that I was different and still to this day, they know that I'm still very different than they are. And <laughs> like, seriously, you know, I was that kid, I was like a bookworm. And to this day, I still love reading books. And so they know that, Queenie would rather read a book than to, you know, watch whatever we're watching on TV or whatever. Just leave her alone and just leave her in, her, you know, in her corner um, or whatever. But I'm, I'm proud to say they've all been successful. They all have their masters and doctorates, and uh, it, it all worked itself out. <laughs> so that goes back to your point about you saying no excuses, because all you guys came from that, yeah. that spot in Carthage, and you all and, did. And, and, I'm very proud of my mom too. You know, when she had all of us, she was young. And um, I think she may have had like an associate. And I think after all of us graduated, that motivated her to go back to school. And my youngest sister was graduating with her master's. And I remember that day, my youngest sister graduated with her master's. My mom graduated with her bachelor's. And so for all of her kids to be there and to see that and see that we motivated her to do that, that was that was huge for our family. There's been a lot of tears that day, man. A lot of happy tears. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. All right, Queen. So you're a kid. You know you want to do well because you want to make sure your kids can afford gymnastics. <laughs> Example. So you know you want to do well. What? When did it become about medicine when when did medicine kind of pop into your life and say you know what i want to be a doctor okay 10th um no not 10th grade um organic chemistry organic chemistry (laughs) organic chemistry what was that sophomore year of college 
I mean, I don't know about you, Deb, but like, I feel like my mom and my grandma were always like, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, doctor, or, you know, a lawyer, uh, my whole life. So they were speaking, it, said, they were okay. speaking it into you. They were, they were speaking and I was like, eh, I'll do medicine um, or whatever. And so I get into college and I'm doing it and organic chemistry was my breaking point. I was like, okay, are you doing this because this is what your parents want you to do? Or is, are you doing this because you genuinely want to do it? And me and my girlfriend, um, she's still my best friend after all these years. We literally drove around the city trying to go down every other thing that I could possibly do. You know, I was like, uh, I can't do criminal justice. I can't do uh, what other majors were there out there. Um, uh, I didn't want to teach. I didn't want to do that, you know. So medicine, medicine it was. So, I, I made it <laughs> so, so you became a doctor by exclusion. <laughs> exclusion. Like I can't do anything else. I don't mind blood. I can handle that, you know, like, okay, I guess I'll stick with it. <laughs> hold on, hold on. No <clears throat> hold on. Okay. So that's cool. You became a doctor by exclusion. <laughs> exclusion. But but let's backtrack. Said no one ever. <laughs> let's let's backtrack a little bit because if if I remember just from knowing you from knowing from your story a little bit, if I remember now, even this whole idea about you going to college, wasn't there, didn't you like go to one college and there was something straight? I forgot, I can't remember what it is, but I know even your choice <laughs> of college, everything was all jacked up in that situation. I was supposed, I, um, I wanted to go to Jackson State University in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. And because no one in my family had been to college, um, really no one told me that there was such thing as out-of-state tuition. And so um, think about it. It's freshman year. It's August. I'm going to Jackson for orientation. And then they bring me and my mom into the financial aid office and they kind of line out the, the cost. And so in order for me to be able to afford it, and I did have a scholarship, like, and I was going to be in, I think their honors college had 100% matriculation rate into uh, whatever pre-professional school people one is going pharmacy, medicine, dentistry. Um, and so they had a good rate, um, acceptance rate in that, uh, in that sense. And so I wanted to go there. I had a small scholarship, but in order for me to be able to go there, I was going to have to take out a loan. My mom was going to have to take out a loan and I was going to have to work on work study. And somehow, even at a young age, not knowing anything about money, Dell, I knew that financially, I didn't want to do that to my mom, and I didn't want to come out with debt from undergraduate myself. <laughs> and so it's it's August, you know, like what am I gonna do? Schools are starting in like two or three weeks. <laughs> so that's crazy. Like, so you so you got accepted into the school, and like, I mean, I, my senior my senior yearbook. If you look at it, everybody was like, "Have fun at Jackson State," you know, you know, do your thing, Jackson State, Jackson State. Like it's so crazy. But I mean, that goes to show you how important it is to 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 have the resource to have people tell you, you know, how to how to do things. So you got accepted. All that time didn't occur to you, like, hold on, how are we gonna pay for this? No, nobody. Like, let me just tell you. First of all. It is very important that, and that's why I, I love doing like these podcasts and stuff. Like mentorship is such a huge thing because I didn't apply to several colleges, Dale, because they wanted um, they wanted you to write an essay. I remember UT in Austin. You know, I remember thinking, I'm not writing an essay. That's silly. So I only apply to the schools that you didn't have to write an essay for. <laughs> Goodness True gracious, story. it's funny, and I don't want to. I don't want. I feel bad. I feel bad laughing at it. Because that's probably the reality of so many people. 
you know, because yeah, I mean, I was like, pe- pe- why? Because I mean, I, I know you, right? So I know how smart you are, but to think somebody is smarter is you. That's that was your thought process. It's just because nobody told you. You had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea. And then I would also like to point out that this was two thousand and one. I think I came out. I was um, internet wasn't. It was just kind of coming out. You know, kids these days have no excuse because you can just Google how much is tuition for this university. I didn't know any of that. And if I didn't have anybody to tell me, I didn't I didn't know one way or the other. So Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Because I'm thinking so the difference between like you and me growing up, right? So I grew up um, you know, two parent household and I remember my parents, they would go to, you know, whatever store, you know, bookstores and they would buy those books like um um, U.S. News and World Report, you know, those books that have all the college stuff in it. And I remember they would sit there and my parents would look through that. So it was almost like they almost like they, they were studying that stuff. And I'm thinking, like, why are they doing all this stuff? They were learning it for us, you know? Right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's nowadays, like you said, now you can just Google it. But back, the, back in the days, I remember my parents going to buy the book and flipping through the book so they could learn how to do this whole application process and stuff for us, you know? Yeah. I remember in college, I remember feeling like paying, I don't know, it was anywhere from 50 to a hundred dollars. Like I was trying to apply for scholarship and it was anywhere from 50 to a hundred dollars. And, and then again, me expecting things to be easy. They sent me a packet of probably a hundred different scholarship applications and you had to individually fill them out and then, you know, turn them back in and cross your fingers that you get like one or two. I remember doing that. Whereas again, now kids have such, you know, better resources for doing things like that. And I mean, I had to, fill all that out by hand and now everything is electronic goodness gracious man Ooh, yeah those days i know i know so ultimately i ended up at uh at the ut tyler or the university of texas at tyler um well it was so, an out- okay so be- mm-hmm. before you got there then so you went to jackson state you saw it cost a lot of money so did you decide not to go there did you start there and then go to Tyler? no i decided i decided not to go there and my mom and i talked and my mom actually suggested that i take a semester off to figure my life out and figure out what i was going to do but i know myself well enough to know that if i didn't keep going i would not have gone you know what i'm saying i would have started working at you know mcdonald's and worked my way up to manager and thought i was doing it yeah i got you <laughs> so and so i was like determined and so at the time the college i went to ut tyler it used to be a graduate school and um, they just started taking freshmen a few years before me. And so they were literally paying you to go to school in a sense, you know, it was basically free. So no loans, no, you know, nothing. And I got scholarship and because, you know, low income status, I got tons of need based money. Um, And so, yeah, I was balling. (laughs) (laughs) You went from, you went from almost having your mom take out a loan. to y'all making profit over here for you going to school. Exactly, exactly. And the, and the goal when I went there was like, okay, you'll stay here for a year and then you'll transfer out. But again, Dale, what are we back to? I was too lazy to fill out the paperwork <laughs> to go. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've changed, you guys. I've changed so much since then. But this was my really naive mindset at the time. Man, that's wild, man. It's funny. And again, as somebody who, somebody who knows you, it's kind of interesting thinking that that was your mindset, you know, because I would not... I, I, I mean, I remember we went to different medicals, but I remember the grind when you were like studying for your boards and stuff. And I remember thinking, like, man, Quinny, yeah. Quinny, serious. And to think that you yeah. know, just five years before that, you weren't. So, okay, so let's get into that then. What what changed? What what turned you from old Quinny to new Quinny? 
Oh man. Um, you know, I, I, I have a nephew that's in college right now. He's at A&M and we're just so different. Like he just thinks the world is just handed to him on a platter. And I just like, boy, you have no idea. And the difference between me and him and, and just my drive in general, Dale, if I didn't, if I didn't survive in college, then that means I was going to end back up in this small town you know, where you just kind of get stuck there in a sense. Uh. And, and, and so, and so I had to, for most of my need-based money, I had to maintain a GPA of a 3.5. So whether I was going to medical school or not, that was my motivation. Keep your grades up. You keep your money, you keep your money, you stay out of, you know, your mama's house. You know, that was my motivation to keep going through school, not to become a doctor, not to do anything else, but to just, you know, be able to make some money so I can put my kids in gymnastics. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of something. Um, I don't know if you listen to Eric. Eric Thomas, a hip hop uh, preacher, what he's called. Um, I remember there, there, there's this one deal on YouTube where he's talking to all these athletes. You know, these high level, you know, top recruits. He's talking to them. He's like something like, you know, the worst thing, the worst thing that can happen to you isn't. I forgot what it says. Isn't like going broke, whatever. He says the worst thing that can happen to you is for you guys to be these top level advocates to actually taste success. And then have to go back, you know, and then have yeah. to go back and be real. So essentially, that's kind of like what you're saying for you. It's kind of like, man, I don't made it at Carthage. I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting paid, you know, to go to school. I'm, you know, living this different type of seeing something different at UT Tyler. Uh, tell me I got to yeah. go back. Uh, uh-uh, It's not happening. Yeah. And it's, it's just amazing how, and you know, I know that y'all are raised kind of like in the cities, suburbs, whatever. And here I come from this like rural area. When I got to college, I had never seen a, a Nigerian person before. I had never seen an Asian person See, before. See, that blows saw... my mind. Is that is that, it, tr- is that is that true? That is so true. In 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 high school, my high school class had like 188 people. Um, I mean, we may have had five Hispanics and you know maybe 30 percent black, and the rest were you know white people. You know in my high school and so to see all these different cultures and languages and learn about the foods and all of that that's what I learned more in college and medical school and beyond I mean than anything is just appreciate different cultures different religions and all of that I know it sounds crazy but it's true yeah that still blows my mind I don't even like um Janae so uh you know you know Janae Janae's my wife for the listeners who don't know even even Janae like when I met her in college she told me I was the first Nigerian she had met and that just blew my mind. I didn't believe it, right? So I went to a high school yearbook, and I looked through her yearbook just looking at names and stuff, and I couldn't find one. I was like, wow, it, you know, this whole diversity thing, I think I take it for granted because, you know, like you said, I grew up around um, probably more diversity than maybe some people. And it just kind of blows my mind when I hear things like that because, like you said, there's so much you're missing out of life if you don't get exposed to the diversity. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's crazy. So, yeah, you live a little, you learn a little. So All right, so then, so where UT Tyler... You decide you want to be adopted by exclusion and you end up at Yale summer medical education program where you meet this cool guy named Dale <laughs> and some other folks and such. How, you know, how were your summers and like what led you to go do that, do that program that summer and how did those things impact you? Like um, <laughs> essentially, essentially kind of what I'm trying to ask is because, you know, you go to this summer program, there's a lot of people who are like you. They want to do the same thing as you. How did that influence you and impact you? You know, it's funny you say that because it's so long ago, you forget as life goes on. But um, again, since the internet was just coming about, I was at this small school, UT Tyler. 
um, the 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 guidance counselors, they weren't, you know, pre-med was a new thing at that school. So they kind of didn't know how to guide us. I found out about that um, medical education program through the internet. I just Googled summer programs for pre-med students and, you know, and it came up. And I talked to Andre, uh, Andre Matthews, who was still oh, yeah. today one of our, yeah, one of our mentors. And he's like, yeah, come down here. It'll be cool. Um, and, you know, and so that's how I found out about that. So check this out, Dale. You know, to go to SMEP, did, did they pay us a stipend at the time? Yeah, they did. I want to say they paid us a stipend, but peep this. Everybody else had their stipend, and every weekend while we're at the summer program at Yale, everybody's going to New York, and they're going to Boston, and or they're just, you know, enjoying life. I had to take that little stipend money that they were giving us, and I had to pay my bills back home, oh, you wow. know, and so I didn't get to do anything that summer. I kind of just said, that's probably why you saw me studying all the time, is because I couldn't afford to go do the things that everybody else was doing. Man, Quid, you should have to told me, man, we'd have bought you a subway ticket to New York. I know, you know, it was like $25 or something. It was like, <laughs> but I still like, um, in my college did not have dorms or anything. And so I had to pay like rent. And so I used oh. that money to pay my rent, you know, for the month and to even get to Yale, you know, to buy a plane ticket. I was working as a work study student, um, in financial aid in college. And, um, there's this, you know, it's always that one like black lady that takes on the responsibility of being your mama <laughs> in college. <laughs> And so she had everybody in that office collect money and they collect money to pay for my plane ticket. It was like $300 to pay for my plane ticket to get to Yale. You know what I'm saying? And then while I'm at Yale, I'm basically living off of the free food that they give us because I have like not a penny to my name. Uh, And funny, I still have that Yale sweatshirt. I just wore it yesterday. That is so crazy, man. This just goes to, this shows you, you you never know what people are going through in life, right? Because so, so I'm yeah. like, you know, we're the, we're all the same program together, and until you tell me this right now, I had no idea. I'm just thinking like Queenie yeah, just ain't trying no to kick idea. it, you know? Because yeah, studying studying is free. I, I, I had no idea, man. So while we was out and, and you were talking about New York, oh yeah, me and Jenna, we were those people. We were we went out to New York. We did all that stuff. So. Yeah, and people talk about the members. I think it was, uh, a lot of people went to Boston one weekend, and I really wanted to go, and I just I couldn't afford it, man. It sucks. Let me think, did we? Yeah, because I remember doing the um, was it that summer? No, that might have been where the Boston Pops, I think. But man, goodness gracious, I had no idea, man. So that that so that just goes to show like the listeners and and such that you just you never know what the next person next to you is going through, what their situation is, and and why it's different. And it's amazing, man. I I guess that's why it's important to take time to talk to people and such. Because I'm learning this after knowing you for whatever 16, 17, whatever years. Yeah. When it's something I could have just, I could have yeah. asked you this like 15, 16 years ago, say, yo, Queenie, why are you trying to come with us? You know, but. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so then while you're there and you're seeing all these other people doing, what, what did that do for you? Did that, um, cause you know, you said organic chemistry was kind of a tough point for you. And mm-hmm. did, did that summer just being around other people who had your same goals, you know, did it give you inspiration? What, what did it do? Honestly, Dale, that summer was probably the most motivational time that I had within the four years that I was in college. You don't know why? When I was an undergraduate, I was the only minority there. When I went to the summer medical program, it was all minorities. It was so motivational to walk into the to the library and see all of these minority pre-med students grinding it out, studying that motivated me to want to, you know, study more and all of that. And like I said, I was kind of 
by myself in college. There was no one that looked like me that was pre-med and, and all that. So, uh, so yeah, y'all are <laughs> Shout out Yale, 2004, SMEB. Um, you know, that just reminds me of this whole idea about, um, you know, going to like an HBCU college and why people love going to HBCUs. And, you know, for that exact reason you're saying, you see people who are, who look like you and they give you that motivation. It's hard to get otherwise, you know. So my yeah. wife went to, I went to, I didn't go to H, I went to HBCU for a summer, but you know, my wife went to um, Meharry for med school. So I remember when I would go out there and hang out with her class and I was always out there. So when I would be out there just hanging with out the Meharry kids, I remember it was a completely, completely different feeling than it was when I was in med school, in my my own med school, you know. So half the time I liked being out of Meharry more than I did at my own place sometimes just because it was a different feeling, you know. Yeah, third. All right, so do all that summer stuff. And now I want to hear, before we move into kind of like the, the med school years, I want to hear, so college, what, what would you say was the hardest, the most challenging, other than, other than um, Orgo, what was the most challenging part of college? Like what was uh, what's something that you really had to struggle to overcome, whether, you know, whether it's like a mental block or grades or what was the hardest thing for you? Um, I always felt like I had to prove my worth in being there you know what I'm saying and I wasn't even at a big college but you know the guy at the time that was a pre-med advisor he looked at my ACT SAT scores and he was just like you sure you don't want to change your major or change your you know your especially you want to do it? and I said no I'm mm-hmm. fine and Dale four years later he was writing my letter of recommendation to medical school but you know I just you know that was a that was the first time in my life that I felt like just simply by me being, you know, a black woman, I had to study harder. I sat at the front of every classroom to this day. I always sit at the front. Y'all going to see me. Y'all going to know I'm there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I had to, and you know, utilizing resources, uh, Dale, like that's what I want to tell you. If I have any young listeners that are struggling, don't, you don't have to struggle alone. I had zero, I had no pride in, in, in going and going to the calculus tutor to the physics tutor I would sit up there until the lights went off but hey it got me to where I needed to be so swallow your pride and and get it done yeah it's kind of like you only have um you, you really have one shot I, I don't want to say you only have one shot but it's this whole deal about you have to take responsibility for your own success yeah exactly so um so it was just it was just hard because again I didn't have a lot of people that went before me to that went to med school that can kind of like tell me so again I'm utilizing my resources the internet starting to become popular I I learned how to google a long time ago (laughs) (laughs) and just learning my way to to this day I still let me let me me ask you how many years have you been on Facebook you, okay, first of all, Facebook, when I was at Yale was the first time I heard of Facebook, I yeah. think, and, and that was like 2004, but at the time, you could only get on Facebook if you were in college, and my college, because it was like a small college, was not on Facebook, so I got on there a little later than everybody else, probably not until 06, Oh, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you, because when I think about it, I'm like, amongst people I know, I'm one of the first people who was on Facebook, Um and it's yeah. because of that summer we did at Yale, right? Because nobody else knew what Facebook, nobody else from where I was at knew what Facebook was. I remember being at Yale. Mm-mm. I think it was Mary Banks. Um, um, I think it was Mary. I'm pretty sure it was her who was going around telling people, y'all heard about Facebook? You heard about Facebook? I was like, nah, what's Facebook? And then that's when, you know, that's when all of us started getting on Facebook. Um, yeah, now look at it. Who knew, man? I know, it's crazy. But that, that you, when you, every time you go back to this deal about 
us kind of being at that internet transition point, it reminds me of all these things. So, yeah, it makes me feel really old, <laughs> but I'm not. No. Yeah. Um. Right, let's 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 move into actually. Yeah. Let's. I was gonna jump into the med school years, but before we jump into the med school years, what was your MCAT story like? Did you have issues with around this, the MCAT or? Man, let me tell you something. First of all, why are they still requiring the MCAT to get into <laughs> medical school? Because it's a joke. Like, I'm not gonna say it's a joke. You guys, please go and study hard. Dale, I took the MCAT three times. <laughs> okay let me just let me let me just give my story first time I took the MCAT I had never taken a practice exam I had never I don't think I studied at all maybe a little bit you know like just so I just did Dr. Cedric Bright I think you know Dr. Bright I think so I just did Dr. Cedric Bright's um episode he was just on the show and he said the same thing he took it three times he said the first time he walked in he didn't study Another another thing yeah, that blows my mind. I get so why why did, what's the why behind the why you didn't study? Is knowledge just ignorance, not knowing. No one told me that. I mean, I think it was like an eight hour. Yeah. I mean, it was just a really long test, and it's almost like you gotta build your stamina up, you know. Um, and Dale, if I can rewind, I did not study for the ACT or SAT either. I just kind of went in there and took it. Again, I didn't know any better. I didn't know that they made booklets for people to study. I think I stayed up till like three o'clock in the morning and went and took the exam. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, first time didn't study. Um, and so second time I took the MCAT, I think was the summer after I went to like Yale. But again, I was studying, but I still never sat down and did a full test. I think I did half a test. And it was like lunchtime, and I was like, eh, get over it. <laughs> and then, and then, and that was like the night before, the, the day before the MCAT. And then I took that MCAT, bombed it. And the third time, I ended up doing a like a Kaplan prep course, um, or whatever that was, because you know I couldn't afford no Kaplan prep course. Like we know this, right? <laughs> and so, um, how, it was some summer program again. I found on the internet, uh, UTMB actually had a some type of course where you go and they kind of get you acclimated to how medical school is going to be and they offer the Kaplan course within that course or whatever hmm. and then Dale you had to speaking of that you know UTMB had that summer pro every summer program that I did I was going to get paid to do. I couldn't do no summer program for free I needed some coins to be coming in to help me pay yeah, the bills back in college and you know honestly I, I, I should know this but you know to your point though you shouldn't you know, these summer programs, there's a lot of programs that pay. So I'll tell you, um, I did I did a program every summer. So after my first summer program, I did MD Anderson in Houston. I think I got like 3000 or something. Um, second summer mm-hmm. was Yale. And I'm pretty sure, I think Yale gave us 600 somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the third program I did was a, a summer deal at Harvard. And that was like another three or 4,000 bucks or whatever. So for, for all the pre-meds listening to this, man, there's money out there. There is, at least there used to be. I think it's still out there. There's these programs, they'll pay you and they pay you to do stuff you sh- you're supposed to be doing anyways. So go get yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, so, so I took the MCAT um, three times and, and eventually it, it worked for me by the grace of God. And I remember before, as I was waiting on my, my third test score to come back, I remember praying. I'm a very, um, spiritual religious person and so I remember saying God look if this is my third time if medicine is not for me then make this a score that I can't get into school and that'll be my you know sign that this is not for me and I need to go with plan b whatever that is 
if this is what you want, the plan that you've laid out for my life, then, you know, do do your thing. I remember saying that prayer and um, won't he do it? Yes, he will. And, and, and because of that, Dale, I don't know if you know this. Um, so because I played around with my life, um, when it was time to graduate college, I wasn't getting into medical school with those MCAT scores. So I had to take a year off. And I remember um, someone telling me, you got to do something in that year. You can't just take off and, you know, work at McDonald's because they're going they're going to ask you what you did in that year between college and medical school. And so that's when postback programs were starting to happen. And so I ended up um, applying and get, getting accepted into the postback program in Fort Worth, UNT Health Science Center. Hmm, okay. That postback program this is a funny story. This is, this is crazy. I forgot all this stuff. That postback program, uh, at the time we basically took the same first year medical school classes that the students at TCOM or Texas college of osteopathic medicine, Mm -hmm. the same classes they take year one of medical school. We took during the uh, postback program. If you made a, a three, five in that program, um, you got automatic admission into TCOM's medical school, but you could also apply to, you know, other medical schools too. And then that year they started a thing where you could also go a little bit longer and get your master's. Now, this is going to sound real crazy, Bill, but the the program, remember I told you that summer program I did at, uh, at UTMB where they included the Kaplan course in there or something mm-hmm. like that? No, no, that, I'm sorry. I, I misspoke. That, a different course. I um so basically I could I got into TCOM because of the GPA and then I got into uh UTMB um Galveston for medical school. Now I know this sounds crazy and it sounds naive and I don't mean any disrespect to anybody. The only reason why I chose UTMB over TCOM is because the MD versus DO thing. I come from a place where people are not very familiar with uh, what a DO is. And I didn't want to have to spend the rest of my life explaining it. That's 100% the only reason why I chose UTMB over TCOM. Well, there were no, no like financial implications or anything like that? No, no, nothing. That was the only, that was the only reason why TCOM was closer to my family. I was familiar with, I had taken essentially their whole first year of courses already. That was the only reason why I chose, you know, going to UTMB, you know, versus, you know, TCOM. But what I was saying is that you had an opportunity to get a master's degree, but what but UTMB had what they called a pre-matriculation program where you spend the summer, again, doing those first year's classes at UTMB, um, and they paid you for it, Dale. So that summer before medical Man, school, was all, you was, I could you go was through all the- about way we're paying you. <laughs> I was about my paper from a young age, from a, from a young lad, <laughs> I was all about my paper. And so it, it's so crazy to think about, but I could have gone six weeks. I could have stayed and gotten my master's or I could have gone to UTMB and um, started this pre-matriculation program. And I started that one from the financial implication. And I felt like it was going to help me out through medical school. And, and I remember thinking at the time, because it was going to be like a master's of clinical science, like whatever. Um, but I remember thinking also, Dale, by the time I got to anatomy was our first course in medical school. I had already seen it twice. I'd already seen it in the postback program. I'd already done it in the pre-matriculation program. So first year, your first year of medical school was, I'm not going to say easy, but it was easier for me than the average person because I'd already seen most of that stuff at least twice. Interesting. So let me let me rewind to the deal part now. 
Yeah, yeah I will say that is that's definitely I, I, you know your sentiments. I think that was kind of a big feel for our our generation, our time period. But it's it's completely different now, which is amazing how fast this, um that what's the word stereotype or whatever the word you want to use is yeah. completely changed now. Now you have people who were choosing Do over MD intentionally. You know, just because Dio offers, in theory, offers more than yeah. what MDs offer, you know. Um, so, that's a shout out to the Dio schools. I know I got a lot of Dio folks. Shout For out sure. to Dio. All right, so, For sure. Shout out to all of them. So, we're in med school now, and you're down there in Galveston by the beach. Anybody who doesn't know anything about Galveston County, that's where I grew up. <laughs> Galveston County, baby. Down there by the beach, and people hating on the beach, but whatever. That little, that that gray, dusky beach, it's okay, because it's our beach. Um, so... What was what was the med school journey like? What were the struggles and you know hard times, good times? And I, I know all you got to tell them about the legendary Dr. Lori Thomas. I know she was she kept, oh she got y'all through. Gosh, first of all, got us through, got us in, got us through. Let me tell you, <laughs> Dr. Lori Thomas. Um, you know she's a African American um, female. She was the dean of admissions or de- dean of students. Don't give me the line. One of them. And when I interviewed at UTMB, Dale's brother was, Dan was like two years ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And he says, I don't care what you need to do. You need to make sure you talk to Dean Thomas on your interview day. So true story, y'all. So, you know, she comes and she gives her little spill, you know, during the lunch or whatever. Y'all, she left out. I had no business, but I followed her back to her <laughs> office. <laughs> hey, sometimes you got to do I that. Stalked, I stalked the Dean of admission. <laughs> And I went back to her office and, you know, she told me, hey, you know, I looked at your application. I'm glad to see that you did something during that year off and you you weren't just traveling and, you know, enjoying life. And I think that that meeting was the sole reason why I got in because I think she pulled for me. I think she could see my hustle mentality, <laughs> you know, deep down inside. And, you know, that's better than any MCAT score or any GPA that anybody could have. And so... She, man, oh gosh, they just don't make them like her anymore. So shout out to Dr. Thomas for, you know, and the whole time in medical school, I didn't have to worry about my grades being on point or not because she was going to find me and call me out and I didn't want to have to answer to Dr. (laughs) Thomas. You know, it's just not what you do. Yeah, there's two people (laughs) in the country out there like that. I don't know if you know Brenda Armstrong, but, you know, um, uh, she she passed a couple years ago now, but Brenda Armstrong was a Duke and she was like, her and Dr. Lori Thomas are kind of like, that person man and yeah. it's, it's, when you hear when you think about it across the country it was those two who would always come up i don't know if you know but dr thomas so i ended up going to the university of missouri school of medicine um i wanted to go to xavier i went to xavier for a summer out in, in louisiana um ended up going to mizzou before when i had to make that final decision <clears throat> it was dr thomas right because you know my dad of course knows her so i remember i went out to have dinner with dr thomas when i was in high school like a senior or something or right before college and sat down with her and talked to her and she was the one who encouraged me to kind of take the route that I took. So this goes this this goes all the way back to what you were saying at the beginning about oh. you're up here showing up on your first day of school, not knowing that you gotta pay for tuition and stuff, you right <clears throat> when you're 17, yeah. 18 years old. And here I am at that same age, sitting down with people who are gonna be dean of admissions and things of that sort. You know, it, it yeah. goes to show you does to but we ended up in the, you know, we both we made it. It goes to show you a couple of things. Number one, it shows you the importance of having a network. But number two, it goes to show you exactly what you said. No excuses. You can you can make it no matter what, right? So yeah, yeah, that is that is. Uh, I didn't know you y'all um you knew her from that far back. Yeah, well, I had dinner with her uh, probably when I was I don't know seventeen, eighteen years old, just once, you know. But you know when when you sit down with somebody and 
I didn't know any better, right? I just knew she was supposed to be important. Um, and she, she, yeah. I don't think she was a dean or anything, but I don't know. I don't know who she was, but I just knew she yeah. was somebody that I was supposed to listen to. There you, you know? go. There you go. And you and you follow direction and look at you now. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you're in there. You got Dr. Thomas looking out for you. So med school challenge. Med school challenges. What 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 we got happening in med school? Listen, med- medical school was probably one of the top chapters in my life okay. because. I was very blessed to go to medical school and we did not have to go to class. They didn't take, um, what do you call it? They didn't take role or anything like that. And so, and, and Gavison had this bomb, like students rec center or whatever. The field house, right? And so, yeah, the field house, I would just study during the day and I would go play basketball <laughs> with the boys for like three hours in the evening or go to like their aerobics class or whatever. I was living my best I just remember, life. <laughs> I just remember thinking, and you know, I went to University of Missouri, I think the culture at University of Missouri and Galveston are very similar, you know, in terms of the thing. Uh, but I just remember thinking in med school, you know, I remember I was thinking like, man, Queenie down there in Galveston killing it. <laughs> like, like she always yeah. smiling, she getting good grades. Queenie just killing it down there. What's going on? I, I need know. to go to Galveston. <laughs> and what I and what I try to tell, like even my nephews in college, is that it's all about balance. I always say people make time for the things they want to make time for. My schoolwork was first, kicking it was second, <laughs> and I always make sure I took a nap at lunch. <laughs> There you go, man. So you can you, you can do it all. You just gotta you just gotta balance it out. Yeah, there you go. And you know, and like like you said, I'm, I'm gonna reiterate what you said. The schoolwork was first. So it's not like you were kicking it and you had no business kicking it. Is you had everything under control, and yeah. and then you you were kicking it. And, and Dale, you know the most challenging thing that happened to me in medical school was Hurricane Ike oh, yeah. during my third year during my third year of medical school and this this is so funny and after everything else I've told you you listeners this is not going to surprise you so that so the hurricane happened but I still needed to get my rotations done I'm still trying to graduate early actually I'm trying to finish early um so I I don't have time to be taking a month off while y'all rebuild the school (laughs) and so it was my elective it was time for my elective month and so the the month that um, the hurricane happened I chose an away elective that was back home so that was good I just stayed with my sister and it was good to hang out with her and then go to my family medicine rotation that month in the middle of nowhere and then the next month, I, it was it was another elective month, and I wanted to do anesthesia at that time because if I want to do anesthesia, I need to kind of get some rotations under my belt. But you can do it in Galveston. I had a friend that was a medical student as well, same year as me, in San Antonio. So I went and stayed on her couch for a month. But Dale, I literally showed up at UT San Antonio Department of Anesthesia's office on a Monday morning at 8 o'clock, and I was like, help the hurricane affected me i need to do a rotation whoa (laughs) can i do a rotation yeah they didn't have there was no you know there was no you know agreement between ut san antonio and utmb or anything like that but i just went and looked like a poor lowly medical (laughs) student that was just trying to do a rotation and they let me do my rotation there like i said i slept on my girlfriend's couch for a month Lived out of my little car for a couple of months. By any means, man. By any means. <laughs> See, again, man, I hope people are getting this. I hope people are hearing the right thing. Because some people are going to hear that. They're going to laugh and think it's funny. But the oh. message in that is nothing should be able to stop you. That you got to find your own way. That's That that seems to be the theme of Dr. Queenie Wilkins' life. Find your way. Right? Yeah. Because like, 
find your own way encourage yourself when no one else will you know like you got to get it done no matter what it takes yeah that's crazy because a lot of people when a lot of people will just sat at home like man they got to hurry and build this school so i can go back to class but you're like uh-uh uh-uh, not me. Yeah, we gotta get this. We gotta get this done. So that was uh, definitely challenging be- uh, because, as Galveston, I don't know what was going on in Galveston Island. I stayed away. So I did East Texas. I did San Antonio. I did Austin. I literally lived out of my car my third year of medical school, and I feel like there was a lot of clinical things that I'm still not that good with these days because um, I was just trying to survive, and that was a uh, probably the most one of the most crucial years of medical school. But I was just all over Texas trying to get my rotations in. It came time to apply for residency during, I think, during your during your third year, between your third and fourth year or something, mm-hmm. um, or maybe the beginning fourth of fourth year, year yeah. you start ap- applying for residency spots. Well, you know, you need letters of recommendation. And I don't know if this is true or not, but somebody said they want letters of recommendation to come from academic physicians and not people out in the community. Well, because I was at in Austin mainly, all those anesthesiologists out there were community docs in private practice. And so I needed to come back to Galveston and get a couple of recommendation uh, letters from there. And so fourth, third year, I was all over the place. And then fourth year, I had to come back to Galveston simply to get letters of recommendation. Huh. Interesting. Fourth. And, and one of the things that I want to say also is that like if one of the things that happened to me, Dale, and I don't know if you knew, like I knew I wanted to do anesthesia. I applied and then fourth year I rotated through ER. And then I think I did like an ophthalmology rotation and I really liked those and I could, could have seen myself doing them. But by that time I was like halfway through my interview season and I wasn't starting over because that, look, Dale, that was too much money. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know those matters, applications those applications cost like per application and so i was like well i guess i'm just gonna make anesthesia work. <laughs> hey but it's a good decision you know and and it's something where you know again on the back side you i think you would probably say you made the right choice you're happy with it yeah for sure now i remember you're talking about fourth year i remember fourth year i don't know if you remember now we were all in st louis and we we um yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what we were doing. I don't know what was going on. I thought St. Louis was like the greatest city in the world. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> First of all, I did. Before, I, after I you went, to, after I wow. went like up there with um with y'all, and I don't was it an engagement or? I don't know. Y'all came for something uh, else, I guess. I think I just went out there to hang hang out because I was in, I was oh, I was two okay. hours away. I don't know why y'all. Uh, yeah, because oh, I think okay. it was um. I don't remember. I what, what I remember about it, two things. Um, but the, the pertinent thing is, I remember we went, I think we were at IHOP or something. We went to get breakfast out somewhere. And afterwards, we I went to the zoo. We did something. And I just remember the cops coming up on us. And I don't know, I think you were there. I don't know if you were there at the time. I think you were there. And I was with my buddy Stan. And Stan was there. I remember the cops coming up on us and, and popping the trunk and searching the car and, and doing all the stuff the cops do, talking about um, one of us put the description of somebody who stole something. And the cops made us pop the trunk open. They were trying to find the hat. They're like, you got a black hat in the trunk. You got a black hat in the trunk. They said you guys weren't a black. You know, you, you, were you there for that or no? I was not. I don't remember. I remember you weren't there at the time. But yeah, it was that weekend we went to St. Louis. And that's 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 always marked in my mind. That's one of the things that happened in fourth year, you know, having to, having to deal with that type of nonsense. But Yeah, that's not fun at that time. Too. Yeah. So all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak through a lot of this you know might have to bring it back for a second one but <clears throat> but um i want to touch on i, I don't want to skip over the residency part 
Um, but I do want to get back to the lifestyle thing and, and being a mother and a black woman. I want to hit on that specifically. Yeah. Um, so you, cho- you, you decided to go into anesthesiology in part because it was going to give you that lifestyle you wanted as a mother. Um, so when you're talking to young black, not even black, but when you're talking to young women who are pursuing careers in the field of medicine, who who wants to do maybe I don't know what what specialties you were saying might be more time intense I don't know neurosurgery or something like that so those ones who want to do that but they want to be mothers so what would you tell them uh, if you what's what's the saying if you if you do something that you truly enjoy and you're truly passionate about maybe it doesn't feel like work but let me just tell you something at the time we're doing this record my son he'll be nine months tomorrow and I don't care what goals I had in my professional life like that's my number one priority right now and and so it's hard and so I can't imagine going to school to be like he said some busy neurosurgeon or some prominent neurosurgeon and all that and then becoming a mother and then you scale back and it's just frowned upon um So I would just say, definitely talk to people that are in the field, talk to, you know, we have a a strong collective of black female physicians all over Facebook, talk to someone that's in your specialty and ask them how that lifestyle is. Dale, one of the reasons I didn't go into OBGYN is because um, this lady from Carthage, she went to high school with my mom. I remember talking to her during my fourth year and she said, go into dermatology, radiology and anesthesia. As I was talking to her, she said, I'm at my son's soccer game right now and I have someone um, in labor. And so if she gets close to pushing, I have to leave my son's soccer game and go there. And I'm tired of doing this day in and day out. And so she kind of let me know that that's not for her. Now, I have a lot of friends that are OBGYNs and they are killing the, the working mom game and they they found a nice balance. Um, and now they have like more hospitalists, more shift work and stuff like that. So as the years go on, I think they're making it better, work out better for working physician moms. But just talk to someone that, you know, is in that field. Yeah. So I guess it's not like, a little bit different now. So you don't necessarily have to choose between your life and your career. It sounds like what you're saying is like, you need to find a way to make your career fit into your life somehow. I, I don't know. It's, it's yes. challenging. Yes. And, and, and as we are recording this, you kind of caught me in a transitional point in my life. If, you know, if I can tell the story of before I had my son, my husband and I were married for a long time. Um, I don't know, maybe, I don't remember. We've been married eight years or so. And our son is just nine months. So we were together for a long time before we had kids. You know, we were trying to pay down all of my student loan debt, all that stuff um, or whatever. And so it was nothing for me to work crazy hours because, you know, I need the money. And hey, you know, as long as I was home for dinner or, or to make the happy hour to meet my husband, it was cool. You know, after I had my son, my my job kind of got taken over at the beginning of the year. And then, you know, you had COVID kind of happen as well. When I came back from maternity leave and I was very blessed to to be able to take six months of maternity leave. That was something that just started. They just started offering it this year. I took my six months and I came back, Dale. And it's like I came back to a job that I never signed up for. And um, Uh, what do you mean by that? Like my. Well, before I left, um, I'm an anesthesiologist and sometimes we have CRNAs to where I would be covering three or four rooms at a time. 
um, and, and I would have CRNAs. Well, the week I got back from maternity leave, they got rid of my CRNAs. And why that's a big deal for me is because when I came back to work, I'm still breastfeeding, I'm still pumping and um, having the CRNAs, like it's, it's kind of complicated to explain, but some anesthesiologists like to solo their own cases, which means you're stuck in the operating room. And then some people like to supervise where you have CRNAs in the room. Personally, I kind of like to do both. It just depends on the day. But when it's when I'm breastfeeding, I actually prefer to supervise because then I can take my pump breaks and, and I'm not like confined to the operating room. Well, imagine being on, on leave as a woman this whole time thinking that, oh, this is going to be great. You know, I'm going to have my CRNAs. I'll get this case started. I'll go pump, you know, whatever. But when I come back, that's not how things played out because now they got rid of all CRNAs at my facility. And so then I'm solo in a room I might be in a plastics case from eight in the morning to four in the evening wow. no one to relieve me to, to to do a pump break you know and I'm like first of all it's illegal let's just put that out there <laughs> uh, and so if there are any of you uh physician moms or or anybody out there legally they are required to give you you know you know pumping breaks and okay, okay so, again, no, so that is so that is yeah. legal by law by law it, it has to be done huh. um but, you know, it was a lot going on with COVID. We were short staffed. Uh, and then, you know, people going out every week because somebody got COVID, you know, we were just short staffed and they simply didn't have anybody to get me in there to relieve me. And it just, it, okay, you do it every now and then, that's fine. But the third day straight of that, I was just done. I just, I mean, I remember I came home from uh, maternity leave. I went back I was back for two weeks, Dale, and I came home and I told my husband, I'm done. Like, cause we, I had gone back and forth with him a couple of times. I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. They can have it. And I put my resignation notice in that weekend. And, and one of the things to learn, you know, that I like to tell like young people is that number one, know your worth. You know what I'm saying? Like, I am, a, you know, a strong worker, I'm, you know, I'm a hard worker, a team player and all that. Y'all not about to sit here and treat me and work me into the ground, you know, and I and, you know, I, I said it several times. My son has one mother. You have a ton of anesthesia providers that can give anesthesia <laughs> day in and day out, you know, not knowing when I was going to get home in the evening, not knowing if I was going to miss bedtime, Dale, on days that I wasn't even on call. Oh. You know, and like I said, that was not the 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 situation before I went on maternity leave. But then I come back and my husband's like, uh, we running low on milk when you coming home anytime soon. And he's like, I'm like, no, he's like, but you're on call tomorrow. And I'd be like, I know. <laughs> and it's seven o'clock and you're still there. And I'm like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Wow. And so and so Dale, like on a whim, you know, just kind of decided that was best for our family at this particular moment in time is that I not be at that job or whatever. Um, my group and most anesthesia contracts, you have to put in a 90 day notice. So I, I still had 90 days to do. Can you imagine how painful that was? <laughs> but, um, you know, I still had to give 90 days, but I knew that I would find something. And that's, let me tell you something, you do good work and good things will follow you because everybody that I've worked with over the past six years, no one can ever say anything bad about me and my work ethic and, you know, how I did. And so I just, by faith, I just walked away from that situation. And Dale, when I tell you stuff just started falling in my lap without me even looking for it, stuff was just falling. Providence you know, of God, lap. man. Yeah. And so, um, and so now I kind of have the best of both worlds because I just sit at home 
all day. And um, I have friends that are independent contractors and they'll say, hey, I have this plastic surgeon that needs coverage on January 15th. Are you available that day? And I check my schedule and I decide, eh, I don't really want to. Or, eh, I guess I'll go make some. That's kind of like where I'm at. Like, <laughs> so I went from, that. so we went from, <laughs> we went from young Queenie Wilkins who couldn't get on the subway to go to New York for $25, who, who shows up at school, who's choosing, you know, summer programs for, because of the money to now, now big ball and doctors just like, nah, I'm going to pass up on that 5G today. <laughs> Maybe not Fiji, but you know my, what I mean. Good money. My family is like giving me such a hard time. They like you did not go to school for like fourteen years to like not work. And and Dale, let's be very clear. I do plan on working full time again, but because this stay at home wife mom thing is not my ministry. Let me tell you. I love my family. This is not, I feel like I'm the best version of myself when I am a working mother. How about that? And so, um, but is is it feels like right now also, you know, having a young child at home with, you know, COVID cases just getting higher and higher every day. Every day I decide to go to work, I, you know, run that risk of catching COVID and bringing it home. And it's kind of like, eh, is it worth it? And so, um, you know, the, 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 the beautiful thing about what I have going on now is that like on Wednesday, this Wednesday, um, somebody needs coverage and they reached out to me and said, Hey, we need coverage. Can you? And I really don't want to do it there. I really don't. I, I'm just, I'm tired and I just want to take this week off. And so then I just threw out some random amount, like, you know, this double what it normally is. And I said, Hey, you know, meh. yeah, if, in order for me to do it, this is my rate or else you're going to have to find somebody else. And I walked and I hadn't heard from him in like three days. And I was like, oh, they forgot. Then they came back and they said, we'll accept your offer. I was like, oh, As <laughs> <laughs> you said, know your worth. Know your worth. Know your worth, man. Like I said, do good work and, and good things will always follow you. So I have to work on Wednesday. I'm excited. <laughs> it's okay. You'll get that check for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Man, so, we, should yeah, have, um, little, we should have started yeah, with that. A, you know, you started off by talking about that. And I was, I was like, we'll get to that. And if I knew it was going to be that deep, man, we just spent. I might for real have to bring you back to, and really dive into that a lot yeah. more. Yeah, so, so that's what that's where I'm at in this little transition period of my life. So we'll let see. me ask you: Would you say you chose lifestyle? Um, over like anesthesia, over or over medicine? over career, <sighs> over over yes. career satisfaction. Absolutely, Dale. It's very hard because that's the thing. I love, and I'm a um, I I specialize in doing pediatric anesthesia, and I love my babies. I love my babies at work, and I enjoy anesthesia. But when I came back from work, it just it was the business side. This new company is the business side of medicine, and you know they don't care about the patient being sick. You know the other. You know one day I was at work and you know, the patient's sick and I'm trying to like reschedule the case and all they see is the dollar signs that I'm letting go out the door as the patient goes and gets back in the car. And, you know, I didn't go through all these years of training for anybody to tell me how to push propofol. And I, and I remind people of that. And that's the thing in my, in my last job, I had to remind people of that too often that I went to school all this time. You're not going to tell me how to do my, my job, my trade that I, you know, learned how to do. And so, that kind of makes it easier for me to choose, you know, my lifestyle over my career when medicine has become such a business. Hmm. That's fascinating, man. So, 
And so, yeah, and you know, you, you know, you have three kids and they just grow up before your eyes and the time, like, you know, my son is nine months. I think I've been home seven of those months with him or so. So, you know, I'm going to look back and you can't get this time back. So I'm just enjoying this little chapter while it lasts. When he starts walking, I'm going back to work because I can't keep up. (laughs) (laughs) It's important. That's when I'm going to be serious. Man, it's a complex thing, man. We're definitely going to have to talk about this more. I I probably need to talk. Yes, for sure. I I need to talk about this with um with black men physicians also because i think sometimes we forget the men have to make these these decisions too like you were talking you're like you had six months my man i had one week with each of my kids when they were born you know and i stayed home with them yeah. enjoyed it for a week and i was back at it and i mean if you know anything about and, my and work my, i think i don't stop like around the clock kind yeah. of thing and, and, it's, and it's even hard like like people always talk about it with the women but with the men too like when my son was born you know in april that was at the very beginning of the pandemic and I'm like telling my husband, you need to take off like a week or two. But that's at the point where they're furloughing people, they're laying people oh, off. Yeah. And he's just kind of like, I can't, you know, so he took he worked from home, um, you know, like those two weeks or what those first two weeks that he was born. But that was like a tough situation for us, too. Yeah, man, this thing, so, this life, this family lifestyle is important, man. So I mean, I, we find you know I'm just I'm similar you know the job I chose and things you know pump crits not you would think about it as a lifestyle field but the job I chose and the way we structure our life I definitely try to you know what it turns out to be in, in my life for me at least is a lot of late night work right so it's like go to work during the daytime come home I do all this you know black men and white coats kids all the stuff you got to do and then it's just up late at night you know trying to do everything else and you know it's tough because you can only burn the candle on both ends for so long and. You know, at some yeah. point people got to start making decisions, lifestyle, career, and, and try to make that stuff work. But yeah, and that was the thing, you know, when I was working, you know, anesthesia, we have early hours. I think I get up at five, you know, and I have to leave by 536 to head to work. Mm-hmm. And you put the kids down, and then it's whatever else you needed to do. That's your only time. You better figure it out real quick. Yeah. So, so, and Dale, I would like to come back because one of the things that I want to say on this podcast too is that, you know, um, one of the things that I'm very passionate about is like, you know, financial literacy, oh. you know, among the African American community. And like, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put a post up on, on Facebook about this shortly. I just got to figure out how I'm going to do it. You know, we, um, of course, I would love to be working right now and like making money um, or whatever. But the only reason why I'm able to do what I'm doing is because we worked for years and saved up money. A lot of physicians, especially black people like myself that come from nothing, you start making a little money and you start, you know, making it rain and balling Don't know out. What to do with it, yeah. yeah, they they call it like the lifestyle creep. You get the Mercedes, you get the, you know, the big house, you go on the fancy vacation, the luxury goods, you do all of that. And then that's how burnout, in my opinion, happens because you've created this lifestyle, but you got to sit here and answer to the man to be able to afford, you know, said lifestyle. And I think that me taking that extended maternity, even though it was six months, I wasn't paid for any of that. And so it was like, okay, we did six months. We not eating ramen noodles. Okay, we We can do this, but you know, it's because, you know, we're very, um, you know, frugal, as you could say, or whatever. We live within our means. We don't spend an excessive amount of money. We don't, you know, we're very, I feel like I don't live too much different than I did, you know, in in residency um, or whatever. And so, you know, if there are any young listeners out there, anybody that's, you know, in residency about to become an attending and start making money, 
you know, pay those loans off first and, you know, save some money, you know, put some money off to the side to where you can walk away from a job. It just literally did. It was just like I came home and I was like, I'm done. <laughs> and I could not have done that, you know, a couple of years ago when I still had debt hovering over, you know, my head. So, yeah, I want to definitely talk to more people about different things like that. The things that people don't talk to you about when they talk about going into medicine. Boom. All right. We're going to do to be continued. I'm, I'm going to hold you up on that. I'm going to take you up on that. Quick. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We're do a to be continued on that. But goodness yeah. gracious, man, so much fire in this episode. So much stuff, man. Um, Man, I don't want to... You learned so much more about me. Like, all these years, 17 years later, and you still learning about me. That's awesome. It goes to show you, man. I, it, it, I mean, it goes to show you. So, uh, just the the idea of communicating with people, how much you can learn, how much you can grow just from taking the time to talk to somebody about something, you know? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, man, I'm not yeah. wrap it up because there's not, not like one central theme. So I'm going to ask you to do... um. Just give give advice on three levels. So first thing I'm gonna ask you to do is, what would you tell uh, um, high school kids and below? What would you tell college kids? And what would you tell med students? High school kids starting at the ninth grade start trying to you know work on your study habits if 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 that's possible in high school with sports and all that. Work on your study habits. Work on your GPA because you'll be a, a junior trying to get your rank, your class ranked up. But you got to start like soon as ninth grade year hits. Um, college level students. College to me, looking back, was probably the toughest time because you're trying to get into medical school. In my opinion, once you got into medical school, you were there. You know, you have arrived. <laughs> you know, so so college was definitely hard because you know you're balancing being an adult and trying to get your grades up to get into medical school. So all I can say is just you can do it all, but just prioritize. As a college student, you know the the most your future is shaped most by what you do in my opinion from 18 to 22 so you choose your choose your choose your life between 18 and 22 those are the golden years so just focus grind it out and then you get to chill on your patio like i'm doing right now <laughs> um and and then is there another is it was in medical school yeah medical school, medical school and residence what would you tell them parting words medical school residents like um find your mentors and i want to tell everybody my email hopefully it won't even change over the years as this podcast will go on but q is in queen whoa, c whoa, is in charlie wilkins uh, oh can i put that on you there you can but what we want people to do is start taking advantage of diversemedicine.com i don't know queen are you on diversemedicine.com if not all right yes, I am. so you guys go okay so Put you guys go there. find Queen. Log on to diversemedicine.com and find Queen on diversemedicine.com. We want you guys to do that because yes. we give you yes. guys a so, it's such a rich community. We've got medical recruiters on there and such. So we're trying to really encourage the pre-meds to take advantage free, right? So get the pre-meds to take advantage of this. So connect with Queenie on diversemedicine.com. Let's do that. On diversemedicine.com. Yeah, look at, get mentorship from there. And, and there's so many resources out of here than it was for us 20 years later. So take advantage boom, boom boom i love it queenie thank you so much for joining yeah. man it's um thank you. i know we went over the time so i appreciate it i, I think I, I, I you know i told you 30 minutes to an hour i'm pretty sure we've gone over that but it's a good episode man it was good stuff in this, so i think it was worth it man so thank you it was a pleasure thank definitely. you so much so all the listeners again thank you guys so much for rocking with black men and white coats um website dropping here diversemedicine.com pre-med mondays for the pre-meds bmwcmovie.com we're excited about that and definitely register for the upcoming summit appreciate you guys listening we love you guys all right later Ooh.
I want them bands like a doctor, yeah Oh, let do it like Flogger, yeah I'm kicking flame with no saga, yeah Ayy, I like them blues I might go Janet like Jackson I got them options, yeah It's all about progression Life is like a blessing Everything a win, loss is like a lesson Ooh, ooh, yeah Ain't no time for stressing I've been really stepping, ooh